You are listening to the Wild Buck Podcast, home of the best deer, exotic, and big game hunting throughout Texas, the U.S., and Mexico. Let's jump right in. Today, we're learning how to age bucks on the hoof before you pull the trigger with wildlife biologist and Southwest Texas Junior College Wildlife Management Program Coordinator, Bob Zaglin. Bob, it is an honor to have you, sir. Thank you for talking with Wild Buck today. Most hunters have a general idea of how to age deer on the hoof, but in the heat of the moment, especially with buck fever setting in, the only thing we hunters focus on more than anything is size of antlers. When it comes to aging bucks on the hoof from a hunting perspective, from a tree stand or deer blind, what are the most important things to look at to get an accurate age? Well, you know, if you're going to start out uh, with the younger age class animals, like the uh, the uh, yearling, let's say a yearling buck, and you really don't want to shoot a yearling buck if you're trying to manage for, for older age class males. So you want to try to avoid shooting your one and two and even three-year-old age class bucks in some cases, depending on your intensity of management. But when you're looking at a yearling buck from that stand, think doe with horns on it. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, a doe with antlers, it's long, thin legs. The legs are out of proportion with the rest of its body. Very thin neck. Uh, the nose is squared off and the eyes uh, are almost... Uh, you got the deer in the headlight look, like it's an excited look mm-hmm. uh, with that young animal, that young animal. The two-year-old animal, a two-year-old buck, is going to have a set of antlers normally, uh, particularly in South Texas, that'll make you look twice. Uh, you know, he could grow something that's better than 15 inches wide. He could have something that, um, uh, that is, has... 10, 12 points, and, and you know, he, he may not score tremendously high, but he's obviously an attractive male. Those are tricky. Again, the, when you're looking at a two-year-old male, you're going to try to understand that uh, that animal, for some reason, has got to be not much older than that, that yearling we just talked about passing. So when we look at it, you're going to see an extended, hyperextended leg appearance, uh, obviously thin legs out of proportion of the body, once again, like the, like the, uh, the yearling. Seldom will the neck be swollen. It'll still have a sh- uh, uh, less than a swollen neck during the hunting season, during the rut. And again, that, that changes depending on your geographical region when their breeding, the breeding season occurs. Mm-hmm. But basically, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a deer that's uh, attractive. The third-year age class is one that... Uh, Boy, he is just bulked up. He looks like a race. He has had, he, he exhibits a racehorse configuration, a really nice image of strength, bigger. Uh, his neck is going to be uh, swollen, much more swollen than the two-year-old. Uh, but maybe not as much as a five-year-old, but, but almost as much as a four-year-old. The three-year-old deer is starting to get a lot of muscle. Uh, then we and, and the outer size could be, you know, if there's two age classes that are hard to uh, let walk, it's going to be your better three-year-olds and your better four-year-olds because those are getting up in age, and each year that an age class or each year that these this cohort of animals born in a particular year ages, there's mm-hmm. fewer of them due to natural mortality, hunting, and a variety of other 
in sundry reasons. So basically, you have fewer of them, and all of a sudden, you see one or two. Wow, you start thinking, oh, I better uh, take this guy. But, you know, when you get into the four-year age class, that's when you start sacrificing. You start looking at a buck now that has, you know, uh, a, a mature body. His legs are, are, are no longer it's hyperextended. He's built. He's built like a racehorse, too, maybe even more so. More so. He is probably the most active breeder out there, him and the three-year-old age class bucks. They're super active because they're trying to enter the breeding hierarchy because of the big old five- and six-year-olds already have established their their uh, hierarchical positions years before. So they're out there a lot, very super active. And those three- and four-year-old deer is what you see a lot when you see the first cool front in mid-December in South Texas show up. And uh, the four-year-olds are aw- an awful temp- hard temptation not to take because, like I said, they're mature, okay? A deer matures at four and a half. Probably 85 to 90%, maybe a little more, of his antler size will be completed in his fourth year. So that doesn't allow much more antler size to expand the following year in fifth. It can. Obviously, it can. We all know that. But but generally speaking, you know, 90% of that animal's antler growth is is already predetermined. It's not going to get a whole lot better. Uh, and again, I got to reiterate that it can. So I don't want to get caught in a trap there because I've seen it happen a lot. Because mm-hmm. we we wait for these deer, we're very patient and let them go to to till when they're five and six years of age. Now, when you start looking at a five year old deer, you're looking at a deer that uh, his neck, the joint between the neck and the and the stomach area or the midsection where the back runs perpendicular. Uh, uh, parallel to the planet earth Mm -hmm. and you have the neck coming down to meet that from their line straight down you can't even decipher uh where the junction is Mm -hmm. of the neck and the abdomen so they're basically uh significantly larger bodied animals Mm -hmm. they also have a brisket that dangles to a degree when they walk and it is uh uh very present uh, it, it's, uh, you're not going to miss it. Mm-hmm. Okay. And it's down there between the two front legs and it starts getting very prominent. The hawks generally can be darkened in color, but that doesn't necessarily mean they will be. But generally the hawks start getting, uh, darker from years of rubbing, uh, during the breeding seasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, but again, they, you know, even fawns rub their hawks. So, you know, it's, a, it's a behavioral and an olfactory system facilitating their sense of, Awareness through smell, mm-hmm. but they use them a lot more if that in that fifth and sixth year, or it looks like. And uh, when we look at the antlers, well, man, at five years, it takes a very uh, dedicated and devoted hunter to, if he really thinks that deer's five to pass on it. Oh yeah, because there's a lot of things can happen that last year mm-hmm. uh, if you're waiting for six. And the best quality antlers develop at really seven. Mm-hmm. years of age in South Texas. I'm just talking about South Texas now. And so if that's the case, while well, we're waiting two more years for that guy, there's coyotes, uh, there's poachers, there's natural mortality of any kind. There's fighting among mm-hmm. themselves. Uh, there's a lot of injury that can be inflicted and they don't have a chance of surviving mm-hmm. or their chances are uh, limited every year after they're four years old. Believe me, when they're five, oh, that's tough. When they get to six, they're really starting to get limited. But those exercises in the fifth and sixth years are tremendous 
Also, in the sixth year, mm-hmm. you'll notice what I call a, a, a little sink in the back. Not always. Some bucks are forever young. Mm-hmm. They, uh, they, man, they, 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 you know, that it's not from working out or anything. They're actually a very lazy animal. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're very lethargic. Uh, they're only out when they're really chasing those. So they're not overly aggressive anywhere or at any time other than rut. So they put on a lot of weight. And generally, their backside, there's a little side. doesn't have to be that way. It's going to be that way at seven. But at six, it'll start. And they'll have a what I refer to as the waddle. Uh, loose skin mm-hmm. below the lower jaw between the two mandibles, the, the lower jaw there, there's a, there'll be a loose skin and it, 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 it sags. That is a result of many years, or, or in this case, if he's six years old, five years or four years of the skin uh, being expanded and, and, and contracted every year during the rut. Mm-hmm. And so that expansion, that skin expands, and then all of a sudden they have a sag. And at the sixth year, it appears more often than at the seventh. And then you have the eyes. And when you look at the eyes in a six-year-old, when you're looking at the eyes of a six-year-old deer, they start to look uh, like they're squinting somewhat. Mm -hmm. It even magnifies at the seventh year. But the skin layer, the gravity, just like in human beings, the gravity of the eyelids uh, forces those eyelids to drop. And those deer eyes appear smaller, and it makes them look to have a squinty mm-hmm. uh, look about them. And then you look at the nose. All the way through the fourth year, the nose will be pretty well squared off, rectangular-shaped, very fine angles of the, of the rectangle, okay? Mm-hmm. When they get to five, it starts rounding slightly. At six, it's going to be pretty rounded. At seven, at six and seven, the noses look like somebody bashed them in the nose <laughs> all year long. And now it's healed. Uh, and it's rounded. And so those are some of the uh, criteria mm-hmm. that I've used for years to identify deer. Does that mean that somebody could take all these tips and you and I go out there with them and they, they learn how to judge deer's age on the hoof uh, mm-hmm. and be 99% correct? I don't think so. It Really, it's extremely hard with supplemental feeding and things like that conducted some of our deer are putting on more antler, more body weight than they used to. Mm-hmm. And now they're looking somewhat older body-wise than they were. But they're looking younger because their physiques are better because of their diets actually been improved upon my man. Can you, uh, can you also talk about the saggy belly that, that we've come to know from, from mature bucks, oh, you yeah, know, from uh, yeah. like four, five, six-year-olds? Yeah. yeah, when you're... When you're looking at a four-year-old, the belly's not going to sag much. It's going to it's it's going to appear bigger than a three-year-old, but not much. A lot more than a two-year-old. But it's going to look it's going to start bulking up because uh, that animal is is still right at the verge of completing all its body growth. When they go in their fifth year, they start gaining a little bit of weight. Why? Because they you know the, the excess protein they're consuming is converted to carbohydrate or fat. So they're gaining more body weight and their tummies is a place where that belly is where gravity allows it to demonstrate that impact the most. And when you get to uh, a six-year-old, you're going to see a considerable drop in the belly. It could be an extremely large belly. But when you get to seven and even eight-year-old deer now, 
you'll you can see on depending on range conditions a reversal of uh, of body size. I've seen deer that mm. were seven and eight, and I know there were seven and eight. I watched them for a long time. Nothing special about their antlers. I just know who they were. But their body weights were not. Um, they start losing body weights. In other words, they were ret- retrogressing body wise. Mm-hmm. And so those are some things to to think about. Mm-hmm. But the belly on the five six year old is pretty prominent. But the round nose, uh, the squinty eyes. Uh, and obviously the antlers, you know, we're, we're always looking at the antlers in the younger age classes, and that's 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 where we get caught in the trap. But in the older age classes, we're really looking at the real thing. The, mm-hmm. the, we're looking at some big deer oftentimes, and basically we're going to make decisions, and going to make decisions pretty quickly. So we're not going to spend a whole lot of time looking at body physique and everything of a buck, particularly if we're on, say, an area that we haven't hunted before. Or we found a buck that we've caught on the camera or something, and we and we don't see him but once a, a year, and it's only a few. It might be a minute, thirty seconds, maybe ten seconds when we get to see him. So there's not a whole lot of time, and so you get, you got to be very careful about putting too much search criteria because you end up holding the bag, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, most seasoned hunters and guides can age a deer pretty quick. I'd say in under you know three four seconds. But not every hunter is experienced enough to age a deer on the hoof that quick. Uh, what would you tell us hunters who are learning to age deer a lot faster to focus on? I know you touched on a lot just uh, uh, previously, yeah. but uh, how, how can we speed up the process? Well, you know, I think looking at more deer, the more deer you look at, because the more deer you and your cohorts will have the opportunity to be, be able to make a rational decision on how old they are. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, in one operation that I have uh, on a 40,000 acre place that I work with, we start picking exceptional deer out at three years of age every year, any new three year old, and we kind of give them a name. Uh, we don't ear tag them, do none of that stuff. We we give them a name, sounds kind of funny, but it helps us remember. Mm-hmm. And basically, it might have a dull throat patch, it'll have some identifying feature, and we'll watch those deer grow uh, for a long time. That, to me, if, if, if you have that opportunity to do that and watch a few deer develop like that, it sure has helped me because uh, even I, uh, who's been doing it for over 40 years, ought to be pretty daggone good at it. But uh, you, you still, uh, no one's airless, I'll say that much. And, you know, the hardest ones to judge are those between five and six. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I don't know why it is. It's just that we want to take them no earlier than and we put a lot of pressure on ourselves there. But, uh, you know, as quick cues, the squared off nose, body weight, you know, thin deer, elongated legs, they're younger deer. Remember the doe uh, with antlers on it as a yearling. It's just a little bigger doe at two years old. Mm-hmm. Three and four, they look, well, they're, you know, real quickly, that deer looks like, whoa, he's like he's older. He's just built real well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but his nose is still going to be spurred off. He's not squinting. There's no dew lap underneath. Um, and he has a pretty good rack. And then all of a sudden, we're into the five and six uh, category. And, whoa, all of a sudden, boy, all of a sudden, we see a deer that's squinting. We start seeing scars that have been healed over years. We see a brisket that's dangling. We have a uh, belly drop to a degree that's... Uh, substantially noticeable we have a drooping in the back 
So all those little features, if, if a hunter could, you know, memorize those minor things and then watch for them, and then when he sees them, uh, they'll become recognizable to him over time mm-hmm. through practice. Okay. Uh, speaking of aging and harvesting, what age would you say is the ideal time to harvest a buck in a wild, free-range, low-fence property where perhaps the landowner doesn't take supplemental feeding as serious? Well, you know, in um, my operations in South Texas, where I managed uh, close uh, a 107,000-acre ranch in Nimitz, Webb, in the South Counties back in the 80s and 90s for 20 years, Basically, it was low fenced and no supplemental feed. Didn't even put out corn for baiting. And that that operation, we still I held to the fact that we wanted to try to harvest deer only at the six year break off. In other words, we we didn't want to shoot our five year old deer. Mm-hmm. We wanted to shoot only six or better. And so, uh, it works. It, it definitely works. The problem is that's a big place, and so I had an opportunity to manage it differently in the center while the outer core was probably hunted legally, of course, by neighbors uh, as deer moved on and off. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is the problem you have when you're a smaller landholder and mm-hmm. you're trying to worry about, well, if I pass him up, you know, we have 500 acres. The average ranch size in the state of Texas is right about 500 acres anyhow. So basically, man, if I let him go, I may never see him again. So he gets shot. But in reality, I think... Uh, and without supplemental feed, uh, deer could grow actually quality antlers, not 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 as the quality that we see coming from high protein fed, mm-hmm. uh, cotton seed planted uh, uh, feeders for deer uh, herds. We we don't see that great of uh, uh, magnitude and antler sizes we do in free ranging. But free ranging is a very special special. Uh, thing for most sportsmen, oh, yeah. and so it doesn't have to be as big as, um, as say, the aberrants that say they grow in uh, other facilities, maybe, mm-hmm. whatever. So the point I'm making is you could grow deer that will satisfy most sportsmen, most if not all sportsmen, without supplemental feed on a small place, but it would be you would improve the odds of doing so by cooperating with the neighbors and forming the wildlife co-op mm-hmm. where all of a sudden, you know, you have only a hundred acres or 50 acres, but make friends with some folks. You get some rules, you get a biologist that works well with you, uh, that has some common sense because, you know, deer management is not rocket science. It's common sense management in my, my book. Mm-hmm. And so you get a group together and you form a co-op and you will increase the probability of y'all uh, reaching a goal of some nice bucks down the road. Mm-hmm. On the same token, what would you say is the ideal age to harvest a buck on a more management-minded fence property where an established supplemental feeding program is in place? Yeah, I would say the seven-year age class in the intensive operation is the, is the uh the age I focus on, mm-hmm. and I, I'm, you know, I, I'm not saying that all sevens will outgrow antler-wise six-year-olders, but we're leading that way in some of our extremely intense operations to see just what happens. Mm-hmm. And we have some that are going eight and nine, and they're really both. They're just blowing everything out the kazoo, just getting really big. Uh, but it's not always, uh, it, it's not statistically dependable all the time. Mm-hmm. And you got to remember if you. 
when you're out there in the field and you you got to survive the gauntlet of say six hunting seasons and six years of uh, disturbance by mankind, whatever kind, whether it's crossing highways to uh, fending off coyotes to right. fighting each other for uh, you know breeding privileges, you know the, the probability of surviving is minimal. Mm-hmm. And probably 20% of our deer die every year without a shot being fired. A lot of people don't know that because they don't see that mortality. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I would say six, Carlos. I would still say with six, and I would lead towards seven if you really want to intensify. Uh, if you're if you're intensively uh, working on trophy, mm-hmm. outstanding quality. So, so low fence, you're saying six, and high fence, you're still leaning around six and seven. Yeah, I'm, also? I'm leaning both ways. I'm okay. leaning both ways. If, if, but in the low fence areas, you know, the the the, the deal is, most of us are not going to get to see yeah. very many deer in the six year age category. Yeah, it's so risky. Don't just be, it's very risky. It's not. That's what makes it so so very special when it happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is just a blessing to a devoted deer hunter to take a big buck on open range. I don't mm-hmm. care how big it is, the range, the, the, the ranch. But when we're, when we're talking about Texas, once again, the average ranch size is right down around at 500 acres. Well, you know, if, if a guy was coming up to me and, he, and, you, and you just bought you a 500-acre place and you asked me, Bob, when could I shoot there? I said, well, how's your, when, when are your neighbors shooting theirs? Well, I don't know my neighbors. I said, okay, well, then, you know, if you get them to two and three years of age, maybe three, uh, you're probably going to have to start thinking about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, that, you know, 500 acres, average home range of a deer is going to be upwards of 1,000, 1,500, 200. It's highly durable, but they, they're highly mobile. Mm-hmm. And once they cross a pen, well, mm-hmm. that's a different kind of management concept. Right. Uh, so, you know, uh, on large open range country, six years old, very small open range country, even with a supplemental feed, I think I would try to stay at four, but it's probably going to end up being three. Mm-hmm. Uh, before we go here, I want to touch on a sometimes sensitive and controversial topic in our hunting industry. Uh, there tends to be a division between low fence and high fence hunting. Uh, many of us are passionate and diehard low fence fair chase hunters, while others don't mind and even prefer fence hunting. Uh, with this, there's often a negative perception towards well-managed fence properties as if there's no challenge to a hunt on such properties. Um, can you mend the fence, if you will, or talk to us about how important it is for hunters to stick together and support hunting as a whole? Yeah, and I totally agree that uh, uh, we back ourselves in corners. We cannot fragment. We've been fragmenting our group for many years, and that's to the favor of people that don't want hunting to exist. Uh, but getting back to your generalized question, you know, if you're looking at those deer in a, uh, in a high fence versus a low fence situation, okay? Well, I know low fence situations where there's a feeder out there, and if you're there at 530, you will get your deer. Okay, um, it's just that deer's going to come out to that feeder and tell me whether that's hot, fair chase or not. I don't know. I don't want to ex- hurt anybody's feelings when it comes to that. Mm-hmm. But I, I grew up hunting where I sat 
ain't no fancy deer blind. I climbed trees. I sat at the base of trees. I tried to find deer runs. And then whenever I saw a buck, you know, I really wasn't worried about the size of the deer for sure. I was, I, it was all experience at that time. And the opportunity to have venison, which uh, I was able to entertain the memories a little further. But on the, you know, when you're looking at high fence, low fence, you know, high fence operations, again, depend on the size. If you have a, you know, 10 plus thousand acre, even a 5,000 acre uh, high fence area, uh, it, you know, when I'm flying surveys, aerial surveys every year, I do a bunch of them. And, you know, you get into a 5,000 acre area, 4,000, 3,000 even, uh, you'll miss a lot of deer. They're just hard to see. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're just absent in the data set simply because they're lethargic. They don't move. They hide. And so, uh, you know, in a high fence, deer have, as long as deer have the opportunity to escape the hunter, I don't know that high fence and low fence should be of concern. But if you've got a high fence and then you have 10,000 acres out there, but you can get on your knee and see it. It looks like the golf course effect that you see in Kerrville sometimes, mm-hmm. in Kerr County, where they trim all the brush out, and all you get is the bottom of the trees and the green winter grass on the ground layer. You can see clear across the ranch. To me, that's not fair chase. Um, and and that's, that's, that's a high fence. They would be high fence operations. Mm-hmm. But I think it all boils down to uh, the ability of that animal to escape. And on some, uh, again, on some high fences, uh, there are feeders and the other type uh, low fences, there are feeders. Well, you can't tell me that those feeders don't alleviate some of the burden of scouting and everything else when you're after a particular buck. Because you've had that feed going off at a time sequence, uh, good chance you're going to get him coming into that galvanized container uh, at a certain time. So, you know, I think it's up to the individual to decide what is fair chase. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know the Boone and Crocker Club is a, a member of the Boone and Crocker Club and, and uh, an official score since 1983. Uh, you know, no high fences uh, or barriers that uh, inhibit movement by animals uh, are allowed uh, to be recognized when it comes to uh, a deer entering into the record book. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it... And maybe that's not always totally correct, but it is something that keeps that uh, possession of that animal maybe a little more special. Because uh, free-range hunting is something that's I think is very unique. High fence hunting is also awesome. I mean, and a lot of people think we build a high fence. This guy's a rich gentleman. He's very affluent. He built the high fence so that we can't shoot any ducks and we can't hunt anymore. No, normally a high fence, most all the times, if a manager is going to build a high fence, it's to keep deer out. And it doesn't sound like that makes sense, but that's the fact. Mm-hmm. Because once they build that high fence, they're forced to manage that deer herd. So they've got to go in there and eliminate does, balance the sex ratio, harvest surplus animals, uh, conduct habitat manipulative practices that are beneficial to the deer, and then really be able to realize some of that impact because they don't have a bunch of deer coming from an external area into that region that's improved. You follow me? Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's there's a lot of things, a lot of thought processes that go into high fences and low fences. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, uh, and, 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 you know, sometimes I, uh, you know, it, 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 I, I just, I would leave the, my philosophy would be 
as long as the individual thinks that the animal has the ability to escape, um, I think it's fair chase. Uh, but there's some limitations to the size of a high fence operation, as we all know. I mean, sometimes they're very small, mm -hmm. uh, and it's not necessarily fair chase. But large high fence operations, uh, I've been in operations in Africa over a million acres, and uh, oh, wow, huge, huge, vast parcels yeah. of property in uh, countries like Zimbabwe. Uh, if they didn't have that high fence, they wouldn't have any rhinos, for sure. Uh, they wouldn't have a lot of the species that they have there. Yeah. And that's the same as us here. We wouldn't have the quality of whitetails that we so enjoy. Yeah. And the one last advantage to a high fence is safety. Normally, we have an idea who's hunting within a high fence. Yeah, the, so it's a big safety issue as well. Yeah, sometimes as I see it, uh, the deer that are behind high fences are a lot more wilder than even ones that are in low fence. So... Um, well, that's you know, probably an excellent point uh, that you're making there, and and I think you'll, you you would know the answer to that. That's because those animals are relentlessly harvested to keep that population balanced and reduced to the point where it is not detrimental to the habitat, so that the habitat can actually grow the deer and maybe eliminate some of the burden off the wallet of, say, a deer pellet didn't have to uh, have to, uh, to be distributed. You follow me? Yep. Uh, what a wealth of deer management information. Uh, Bob Zaglin, thank you for talking with us. It is an honor to have you on the Wild Buck Podcast. How can, uh, how can we learn more about your wildlife photography, services, and everything you do as a coordinator for the Wildlife Management Program at Southwest Texas Junior College? Well, uh, they can call my cell phone, of course, 830-591-7420. Uh, and my office, 830-591-4160 at the college. And um, 84 students in the program, presently in the program. It hangs around 80 to 90 a year. And um, uh, that's one way. The other way is eggmanwildlife.com uh, is my website. And then I've got another website uh, strictly for the school. I think it's SWTJC Wildlife Management, and it's WIX, W-I-X attached to it mm -hmm. and uh and uh there's a website there on uh, our work that we're doing with the students here out of Udani. there you have it the most important practice to growing big deer learning how to age bucks on the hoof before you pull the trigger straight from mr bob zaglin stay current and view more of bob's photography and wildlife services at zaglinswildlife.com or learn more about the Wildlife Management Program at Southwest Texas Junior College. If you enjoy this, like, comment, share, subscribe, and leave us a review on iTunes. Thank you for listening to the Wild Buck Podcast. For more hunting content, information, and photos, follow Wild Buck on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and subscribe to our podcast.